it's good to be together. Last summer, I laid out the Gospel of Luke, and here's where we're going as far as, as we finish this series. And so the text that we are looking at today was uh, determined last summer. just want to remind you of that. The Spirit's at work, and it is a good passage for us to reflect on today. If you got a Bible, get it to Luke and open it up to chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 5 through 38 today. For those of us who trust in Christ and are followers of Jesus, you and I have consistent opportunities to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness of Jesus, to to show signs that something has happened, to tell of what we've seen. To bear witness means to, uh, to show signs that Jesus has and is changing our lives, that something has happened in our hearts and lives. And that something is someone and his name is Jesus. To bear witness of Jesus also means to tell of what you and I have seen. So as Christ followers, we speak the name of Jesus. We tell of his good news with our words. We show and we tell one is not excluded from the other. Your faith in and devotion to Jesus, it should be visible in your daily way of life. As disciple makers of Jesus, we also have to open our mouths and use our words. If you're a parent, you're telling your kids about Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you're, you, you are to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. You don't want to just go 18 years say, well, they saw my way of life. They kind of magically somehow understood that that's because I trust in Jesus. No, you're, you're actually opening your mouth. And you're showing Jesus and how He's changing you to that next generation. And that translates long past parenting that goes to coworkers and neighbors and, and family and friends. So why do we show and tell? Because this is what we've been called to do. Jesus told His disciples in Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit, to show what Jesus has done, to tell of His name and works from our neighborhoods, from the towns we live in, from our Jerusalems to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, stretching from neighborhoods to nations, because one day we know that Jesus is returning, not as a humble baby, but as the King of kings, Lord of lords, to judge the living and the dead. This age, as we know it, will end. And those who are in Christ will experience a resurrection, a new heavens, new earth will be established, and we will dwell with the Lord for all eternity, basking in the goodness of His glory. For those who are not in Christ, who have rejected His gospel, His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His triumphant resurrection on the third day who have said, I don't need a Savior. I can save myself. I'm not concerned about eternity. I can be my own Savior. I don't need Jesus. Those who have rejected Him will be separated from the Lord and His grace and goodness for all eternity, which is what they wanted in this life. And they will reap what they have sown and experience suffering and judgment for all eternity in hell rather than the abundant life that Jesus came to give. It's found only in Him. 
for those who are in Christ, the passage that we're looking at today encourage us, encourages us to take every opportunity we have to bear witness to Jesus, to show and tell of Him. For those of you who are listening or not in Christ yet, yet to, pl- yet to place your faith and trust in Him, may the words of Jesus and this sober warning He gives to His disciples move you toward the Lord and toward saving faith. May today you wholeheartedly trust in Jesus, no longer resisting or rejecting, but receiving. Saying, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my life for the rest of my life. We're in Luke 21, and as we've seen over the past several weeks in Luke, we're in the final days leading up to Jesus dying upon the cross on Good Friday. His earthly life is nearing the end. So while he will interact with his disciples after his resurrection, he will charge his disciples to go and make disciples. And and Acts 1.8 being an example of of that charge post-resurrection in these days, in Luke 21, he has been with them for three years, and so he's preparing his disciples for what's to come. And he wants them to know that in the years in front of them, after he's ascended to heaven, they will have an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus has both the near and the far in view. The near destruction of Jerusalem that will happen 40 years from this teaching in Luke 21, and the far, the promised second coming of the Son of Man that is yet to recur, yet to occur in human history. To the disciples listening to Jesus' teaching here, both are in the future. Both of these events are. To us here in 2022, we we sit in between them, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the one day second coming of the Son of Man. These two events are distinct and yet intertwined as the fall of Jerusalem, the near, foreshadows, points us forward, points these disciples forward as well as our, our own minds and eyes to the second coming. So verses 5-6 through six in the CSB translation As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. So in 586 BC, the first temple was destroyed by the enemies of Israel as a result of the idolatry of the Israelite people. Here, Jesus is saying this second temple will be destroyed as well in the judgment toward the people who have rejected him the one true savior and messiah he told them in luke 19 41 through 44 that these people of the city have rejected him when the lord himself had visited them they'd missed him they didn't recognize him and the judgment was coming the city will fall the second temple here that was it was being greatly expanded and improved by Herod at the time. Work had begun 19 years before Jesus was born. It wouldn't be complete until 63 AD, which ironically is seven years before. It will be utterly destroyed. New foundation walls, enlarging it to twice the original size. Five football fields wide, four football fields long. Just massive, majestic it was brilliant in its beauty. For instance, marble stones that were, that were used 67 feet long, 12 feet high, 18 feet wide. So if none of those numbers translate to you, between here and the back wall, 
a slab of marble, one section of seating wide, as tall as nearly the top of that metal siding, a slab of marble, majestic. The temple was awe-inspiring to anyone who encountered it. And Jesus said, these things that you see, marble such as that, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. And in less than 40 years, these prophetic words of Jesus will come to pass. This majestic and monumental temple will be destroyed because the things of this earth, even those that appear permanent, are so temporary. They're so temporary. Even as massive as that. Naturally, in response, the disciples have some questions. Verse 7, teacher, they ask him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of these things? What will be these signs? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Jesus will not give them the when. He will give them the what, an answer to some of the signs. And yet in doing so, Jesus gives less of an emphasis on how to read the signs and more of an emphasis on how to respond to the signs. And those are two vastly different things. When we talk about and think about end times, there's often this fascination in trying to guess as to when Jesus will return. Jesus himself says, we will not know. Is it bad to be curious? No. We, we join in with the disciples that were curious. We see in this example, we see it in Acts 1, they're curious. They're asking Jesus this, these questions. Is it bad to be curious? No. Is it bad to be consumed? Yes. Because it pulls us from the mission that we are on. It pulls us into these secondary matters that pulls us away from the mission to bear witness to Jesus, to show and tell of Jesus. Our focus needs to be less around the unknowable win and much more about what we are called to do in this life that we've been given. In the providential time the Lord has given to us, placed us where we are to bear witness to Him. In verse 8, Jesus then begins to give signs that will point to not only the fall of Jerusalem, but the second coming. And you'll notice that with each sign, Jesus also gives His disciples encouragement about how they are to respond or live accordingly. So verses 8 through 11, Then He said, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am He, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it's necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then He told them, Nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven providential that we open up our Bibles to a passage such as this on this Sunday. Providential. God is good. Three signs he points to. False messiahs will try to deceive. Humanity will be in conflict and creation will be in chaos. False messiahs will come after Jesus and their, and their intent will be to deceive and lead others toward themselves rather than the one true Savior and Messiah. Throughout history, we've seen examples of this 
We'll continue to see these until the second coming. False messiahs never lead to anyone other than themselves. It is a trait among all of them. They are self-obsessed because they are false messiahs. They don't speak truth, and as a result, they lead to places of death and destruction. They don't lead toward Jesus who leads us to, to life and freedom. So what does Jesus say to do? He says, watch out for them, don't be deceived, and don't follow them. And the key way we avoid deception is to grow daily in our knowledge of who Jesus is from the Scriptures, abiding in Christ, letting His Word dwell richly among us, centrally to our community with other believers. This helps us recognize what's false and what's true. According to Jesus in John 10, we want to be sheep who recognize His voice. And so we want to be consistently opening up our Bibles so that we recognize His voice. So we discern the nature and character of the one true God and discern the enemy's schemes who's only out to steal, kill, and destroy, according to Jesus in John 10. So we must be people continually growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is through His living and active Word. Jesus also says humanity will be in conflict. Wars and rebellions will occur. Nations and kingdoms will rise up against one another, to which Jesus says, don't be alarmed. While those who have put their faith not in Jesus, but in themselves, will be prone to fear and terror, to the believer, don't be alarmed, Jesus tells his disciples. Don't be disturbed or surprised or overcome by trouble, because remember what Jesus says in John 16. He says in John, in the Gospel of John, that we'll experience trouble in this life. But take heart. Be of good courage. Because he has overcome the world. He also says that creation will be in chaos. Natural disasters will be occurring. Creation will be groaning as, as Romans 8 describes. And it's been groaning since the fall of man in Genesis 3. Jesus continues in verse 12, giving more signs to his disciples who've just heard that the temple is going to be turned upside down. Verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisoner, prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. One more sign Jesus points to that will occur in the life of the disciples. He's speaking to here. It has occurred in disciples since. It will until a second coming. And that is the persecution of the disciples of Jesus. If you read in the book of Acts, persecution is one thread throughout the entire book. The story of the early church beginning and it's spreading from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and launching to the ends of the earth. Notice that Jesus says that it's through persecution, disciples of Jesus will be brought before kings and governors. They will be presented opportunities before leaders to show and tell of Jesus opportunities that are the result of hardship that are the result of persecution that gets them this platform. 
Again, we see that in the New Testament church. Acts 4. Peter and John are put before religious leaders. Acts 25 and 26, Paul is brought before King Agrippa. In Philippians, Paul writes a letter while being under house arrest to the Romans, and he says this, Philippians 1, 12 through 14, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, house arrest, has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. What has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, he writes. That's what Paul's seen in his life. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. And he gives them this promise in verses 14 and 15 that when these opportunities to bear witness to come, when, when they present themselves as a result of persecution, the Lord will give them the words and wisdom to speak with. And again, if you simply read the book of Acts, you see this on display. If you want to grow in boldness, in prayerfulness, in being reminded of, of where we follow as a New Testament church, read the book of Acts. Spend time in the book of Acts. Spend time reading about how the New Testament church were witnesses, as well as how they loved one another. The good news of Jesus doesn't require, it doesn't always require, smooth, earthly rails to run on. It's not the power of man. If it was the power of man, it would need smooth, earthly rails. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who might believe. Globally, the church is growing the fastest in countries where persecution is often the most rampant. Places like Iran, Afghanistan, China. Jesus is telling His disciples then and now, you're following in my footsteps. And Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And Jesus was persecuted, hated, killed. So don't be surprised as a disciple of Jesus when your life possibly reflects the same storylines. If you want to learn more about the persecuted church, check out persecution.com. It's a ministry of voice of the martyrs. It will give you a global view of our brothers and sisters and what they're walking through and how to pray for them and how to encourage them and how to be alongside them because we're we're an eternal family of God. It's a supernatural family, right? Not conjuring this up on our own. We're not some social gathering. No, this is a supernatural family of God empowered by the Spirit to bear witnesses. Globally, throughout all history, we're joining in that story. When we get sucked into just our own little personal, how do I fit in? No. Go big. Lift your chin. Look at the world. Look at, human, look at history, and look at history going the other way, where we're going. This is what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples here. Don't get obsessed about your own little things, disciples. You're going to have an opportunity to bear witness. Be faithful in the opportunity that presents themselves. He's, praying for his, he's preparing his disciples then and now. He's saying, don't be surprised, don't be troubled, don't be anxious. The Lord who you've 
entrusted your soul and life with is most certainly able to bring about gospel advancement through persecution. He's able to empower you through His Spirit to bear witness to Him in every opportunity, including that of hardship. And when we are tempted to respond to attack or slander in our lives from the world with a spirit of vengeance, when we're tempted to respond with vengeance, instead we want to follow Romans 12, 17 through 21, which verse 21 says, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Verses 12 through 17 in Luke 21, these are some sobering signs. And at the same time, Jesus says, but not a hair of your head. Not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. For those in Christ, earthly harm never means eternal harm. Never. Earthly suffering never means eternal suffering. Never. Because the gospel of Jesus doesn't stop on a Friday. He's no longer hanging on a cross. He rose again on the third day. Our faith and trust is in Him who beat death, who beat sin, who beat Satan. For those who are in Christ, we identify with His persecution, but even more so with His resurrection. Your eternal soul is safe and never in question. Romans 8 makes that abundantly clear. Acts 7 tells the story of Stephen, the first known martyr who died for his faith after speaking a, uh, a blazing sermon to hard-hearted people, unrepentant people. We pick up the story in verse 54 of Acts 7. When they, the unrepentant people, heard these things from Stephen, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep on this side, but that next moment, he woke up in the unhindered presence of the one who he had entrusted his soul and life with, and not an eternal hair was touched on his head. What, hap- what, what appeared like loss in Stephen, or Paul, or any of the others, was only gain, nothing but gain. What you read in Acts 8 is that through the severe persecution following his death, the apostles were scattered, spread through different geographic areas. And as a result, more opportunities to bear witness to new people were created. And the Lord redeemed the evil of persecution to launch and advance the gospel. We serve a sovereign God. The church grew. Jesus goes on, and he and his disciples are standing with the temple in view. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it 
and those who are in the country must not enter Jerusalem because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to the pregnant women and nursing mothers in these days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against these people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem will fall. Jesus is telling his disciples it it comes to pass in 70 AD when Roman armies encircle Jerusalem. Scholars estimate that hundreds of thousands died. Another 100,000 were taken captive. Even the most vulnerable, the pregnant, the nursing moms were killed. And Jerusalem's fall is intended as an example of what end times chaos will look like. But it won't be restricted to a city. It's globally. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come when the Son of Man returns. Jesus has the near of Jerusalem and its fall in mind, but also the far and the second coming. And just as Jesus' prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem will come to pass, so will His promise to return. Verses 25 through 28, Jesus looks at the far, His second coming. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there will be anguish on the earth among nations bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. I can't even get my little pea brain around that. Jesus coming in a cloud with power and great glory, regal with all kingdom authority, majestic, holy, all-powerful, all-wise, altogether good and just, come riding in on a cloud. And when this occurs, the return of Jesus, it will be a cosmic, global event. Creation itself, the sun, the moon, and the stars will respond. It will grip the attention of all the earth. It won't just be a singular in this city of Jerusalem. It will be a global cosmic event. And for those who at that point have rejected Jesus and resisted His good news and didn't recognize Him for who He was, that He had been sent to seek and save that which had been lost, including them They didn't receive Him as Lord and Savior in the opportunity they had been given. In that moment, they will faint in fear. And they will, have, they will be gripped by a sense of helplessness. They will be gripped by terror, overwhelmed by the majesty, the glory of the one riding in on a cloud and overcome by their stubbornness and pride that kept them from trusting the one riding in on a cloud. Why are you still trusting in yourself? I say that with great love. Why are you still thinking you're going to face judgment with you on an island bringing your resume of good works? Here's all the things I've done, Lord. Trust the one that's going to come riding in on a cloud. He's worthy of your trust now in February 2022 and for the rest of your life. Humble yourself. Worship Him today. Turn toward Him. He's too good, too loving, too too wise for you not to surrender your life to Him. And His goodness is displayed 
in a cross on a Friday, and a resurrection on a Sunday. For those of you who are in Christ, who have trusted in Jesus, who love Him because He first loved us, who are walking in humility before the Lord, this event of His second coming is one of unimaginable hope and joy and delight. Our promised Savior has returned for His people and sons and daughters of the King, King of kings, Lord of lords, we don't faint in fear. We don't faint in fear. We don't cower in terror. Rather, as Jesus said, His disciples will stand up. We'll stand up. And we'll lift our heads. We'll lift our heads because our redemption is near. And our Redeemer is here. He's a promise-keeping God who never forsakes, who is forever faithful. And in this moment... We will lift our heads to the one who we've entrusted our life with. Jesus continues in verse 27. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When trees begin to blossom here, Lord willing, right? Soon, soon we're going to see green. When the leaves start to pop out and grow, you know that summer's on its way. And Jesus is giving this example up from creation, saying when you see these signs, recognize the kingdom of God is near and His kingdom is is above any other kingdom because He is the King above all other kings and because our King is eternal and immortal, we also know that His Word is eternal. Whereas heaven and earth, even majestic temples, will crumble and fade and pass away and a new heavens and a new earth will be established, His words are eternal. The truth of His words are unchanging, so the goodness of His words are to us are forever. 2 Timothy 3 reminds us that all of Scripture is inspired and breathed out by the Lord. So knowing that His words and His word to us is sure and steady, even when the world is uncertain, let's be a people anchored to the Word, growing in our understanding of our Savior Jesus, who we are called to bear witness to as a way of life. Verses 34 through 38, the final section for today, Jesus gives two charges to His disciples. He says, be on your guard. And be alert at all times. Verse 34, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life, or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you're going to, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night in what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. So be on your guard and be alert. These are action-oriented words. These are not bomb shelter words. These are action-oriented, empowered by the Spirit, going as a witness. Be on your guard. Because Jesus is saying, we'll be tempted to let our minds be dulled by earthly substances, and by earthly worries. And often we're tempted to turn to the substance when we face the worry. 
He says drunkenness, but please do not limit it to only alcohol. This is any created substance, both legal, illegal. We don't care what the state or a government declares as legal or illegal. This is any sort of created substance that has one purpose, and that is to dull our minds with the intent to escape momentarily. The list is long. It's ever-growing. Consider even mindless social media scrolling and this consumption of media. It's dulling us, brothers and sisters. It's dulling you. It's dulling me. It has one purpose, to distract you from the opportunity to bear witness that the Lord has given you. Created things that, that we consume with our eyes, our mouths, our bodies for the purpose and what the enemy uses is to cloud and blur our spiritual insight, our eternal view on things. It pulls us downward. It pulls our chins down literally and figuratively instead of looking up, looking up. Jesus says His disciples are to instead be on guard, be on guard against the schemes of the enemy, the temptations of the flesh, the worries of this world that often pull us downward, be on guard, don't get careless, don't get callous, he's saying. Jesus also charges us to be alert at all times. Don't fall asleep at the wheel, don't lose sight of the end, live with eternity in view. And how can we be alert? When you and I, I'll be the first one to confess, we're so prone to being distracted. How can we be alert? Well, he calls us to pray praying for strength and endurance for the race that we've been called to, a race that we're empowered by the Spirit to run, a race full of God-given opportunities to bear witness to Jesus, to show and tell of Him. We're going to close in prayer, and we're going to use the words of Colossians 4, 2-6 through 6 as our prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Empower us through your spirit Lord Jesus, to live this out and to make the most of the opportunities before us to bear witness to you, to show of your goodness and your love through our actions and our way of life, to tell of your name, to speak of your name, to speak of the gospel, your virgin birth, your sinless life, your sacrificial death, your triumphant resurrection your ascension that followed, your one day second coming. We trust that you are more than able, you are promise-keeping God. So empower us with your Spirit to bear witness to you, to show and tell of your glory and your goodness. We, we pray this in your name. Amen. Acts 4, starting in verse 1, says this, telling a story about Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, 
And the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, until it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the the men came to 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family, after they had had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved." When they, the religious leaders, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you have everything you need to be a witness for Jesus. Peter and John were simply empowered by the Spirit. They're not superheroes. Empowered by the Spirit, you have everything you need. Abide in Jesus this week. Enjoy being in his word. Enjoy being with him. And then let's be prayerful and walk by faith into opportunities to bear witness to him that he opens up for us.